K-D-9-B-N-Q. This is K-D-9-S-J-Z. You're on the WMAY Morning News Feed. I'm Greg Bishop. Talking now with Todd Johnson. He is the president of the Sangamon Valley Radio Club on the WMAY Morning News Feed. Uh, Todd, thanks for taking time with us this morning. How are you doing out there? I'm doing great. I, I got me a little jumpy at the with the open there. I'm I'm used to when I hear your call, I got to answer right away. Otherwise, I got to wait for the pileup. <laughs> so, uh, amateur radio, I'm new to this. Uh, of course, I, I do it professionally uh, and have for years, but I've always been interested in amateur radio just because of what it's there for. Uh, and before uh, the, this segment, I talked about uh, some you know tornado activity up in northern Illinois. We've seen that here locally. Uh, you know, we could have a, a devastating earthquake sometime. Who knows? Uh, but natural disaster. Masters seem to be where uh, the amateur radio community really thrives, but that's based off being able to, to properly test things and to be able to just have the, the necessary equipment and the communication skills and uh, being able to to implement those on, on such a short notice. So, Todd, uh, with the Sangamon Valley Radio Club, uh, I guess just lay it out there. What is amateur radio and why should people care about this? Yeah, amateur radio is uh, just a huge hobby, and you know that's one of the struggles I have as president of uh, the Singapore Valley Radio Club. Uh, I'm really trying to get so many different things, you know, from from bouncing your signal off satellites in outer space, uh, doing schedules with schools to uh, get kids to talk to an astronaut in real time using a radio, um, you know, all the way to uh, Aries Amateur Radio Emergency Service to uh, you know um, all the different pieces of this, even just the social events, because um, like, you know, with doing radio, you get to talk a lot, but nobody ever gets to put the face with the voice. And so a lot of people, you know, love to put face with the voice. So there's a lot right. of social get togethers as well as that for that. Um, but we have uh, repeaters and all kinds of, all kinds of different frequencies that we're able to take advantage of to uh, put aside by the FCC. You have to get an FCC license. You've already mentioned that. And uh, you get that license. And that gives you right to those frequencies, but we have to do public service as part of that, and some of that is the emergency communications. So, um, you know, we've been a local club for 73 years now, and uh, there's 20,000 hams in Illinois. Wow. So there, there's quite a few hams in, just in Illinois alone. Uh, I think it's close to 800,000 in the U.S. right now. Yeah, that, that was one so, figure I saw was 700,000 plus, uh, so close to 800,000. Uh, and these are amateur radio, uh, and there's so many different tools uh, from the antenna to the power supply to the transceiver uh, and even like handheld uh, units that you can bounce off of a repeater. And for people who aren't familiar with all of this, it may be a lot to take in because when you have to study up for your your amateur radio license you look at you know what are frequencies what are the range of frequencies what's hf versus uhf and vhf and uh you know what uh what what, what frequency is 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 part of this band so there's a lot to digest there todd uh but I, tell tell us why it's so important to have this network this kind of decentralized network that doesn't rely on uh, infrastructure as we traditionally think about it, like power lines or, uh, you know, fiber cable for Internet or even, uh, you know, telephone lines or cell phone towers. Why is amateur radio so important uh, to kind of be that uh, that back that backstop? Yeah, amateur radio gives you a, a great amount of flexibility um, with that list of, of frequencies that is just massive and confusing, even the 
eight and a half by 11 uh, printout is just, you know, right. it's so small reading the numbers. <laughs> um, so, you know, you take a little bit and, and that's where, you know, a local club or a good Elmer and Elmer is somebody that teaches you, uh, you know, and gets you familiar with things. Uh, you really can get uh, so something, a frequency that talks locally. There, there's a, a guy just uh, south of Springfield here that uh, likes doing 10 gigahertz, and he can bounce his signal for about 100 miles off a rain cloud at, at 10 gigahertz. But that's about all he can do with that. And, you know, then, then there's the guys that talk HF um, that, you know, there's a mid-cars net that I like to check in. At, like It's like 7.258 megahertz. And I'm I'm talking to guys in Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and over in Ohio. And, you know, there, there's just all these different frequencies you can take advantage of, and based on the time of the day, uh, the solar propagation, you know, things very you're very aware of from AM. Um, you know, you can talk all the way around the world if you get the right right opportunity there. Todd, so I, I got to say, I, I've I've been able to through digital channels. I've been able to pick people up in Canada. I've been able to pick people up on the the West Coast. Uh, I'm not necessarily communicating with them because I don't think I have as much strength as as maybe I would need uh, for, through my antenna, but. It's pretty incredible the, the the reach that there is, and knowing that I'm not connected to the internet, and I'm getting a even as weak as it may be, I'm getting a signal from South Florida, for instance. Yeah, and and that's the that's part of the beauty of it is you know uh, that's why a lot of people like contesting because you just get on there and call CQ, which is you know calling any station, and you wait for somebody put that call sign out there and you, you hurry up and <laughs> hurry up and go back to them before uh, conditions disappear. You know, that's kind of the 50 megahertz and 10, 10 megahertz, which is the six and 10 meter band. It's a magic band. And it's like some, somebody up and up in the heavens is just holding a big duck and just magically moving it around and connecting two places. Um, so there's all kinds of different bands you can use for different purposes, but these bands, um, you know, are obviously very uh, highly sought after things, these frequency spaces. And so uh, one of the things we, we make efficient use, we make sure we don't interfere with each other to the best of our abilities. And, uh, you know, we do a, a lot of public service. Uh, I know we've done a, a fair chunk of uh, uh, um, locally, we've done Boy Scout hikes. Uh, I've went up to Chicago and I've done the Chicago Marathon and, and done service there. Uh, you know, you get I think it was like 80,000 people in, in the park there. Uh, the cell phone service doesn't work to call the ambulance. And so yeah. we actually replace the, the cell phones and, and get the messages directly to the ambulance service up there. So uh, there's lots of opportunities, and that, that's just locally with, you know, higher frequencies. The lower frequencies you can cover. Um, Hurricane Watch, that's a popular one where they can cover, you know, entire uh, Gulf area through hurricanes. Um, and provide that service so that you can get weather reports to the National Hurricane Center. Um, but there's just so many different things, even covering the state of Illinois. We recently did an exercise uh, for earthquake preparedness and pulling traffic out of southern Illinois and pulling that back into the Springfield and, up, uh, you know, into the Chicago areas, um, just trying to provide that continuity and connectivity uh, that might be impacted by uh, some kind of those uh, exercises. Or, or Again, 
All without cell phone coverage, all without being connected to power lines necessarily or the internet. This is decentralized emergency communications through amateur radio. We're talking with Todd Johnson. He is the president of the Sangamon Valley Radio Club. Uh, We'll give information out there about how people can take part in the uh, Sangamon Valley Radio Club, especially with anybody listening. Uh, If if you, you meet certain qualifications, you can take a test. And you can get an FCC license, uh, and I got to tell you, Todd, I, I I have to get my I, I got my technician license. I need to get that uh, that uh, general license because I'm very limited <laughs> in the bands that I can communicate on, uh, and I want to I want to be able to to communicate even more. So I got to study up and get that next level of testing. But uh, tell us about Field Day. That's coming up this weekend, and of course, with COVID nineteen last year, kind of threw a wrench into things. Uh, and it seems that it's still carrying over just a little bit. But what ultimately is Field Day? all about and how can somebody like myself who has a technician's license take part in that yeah field day uh you know we we usually had a really big had hundreds of people uh partnered up with the local school um and uh that was wonderful we had the school grounds for the weekend we'd uh, have hundreds of people come out and we'd have uh, six stations usually on there so six transmitters at once working and uh trying to talk all over the world so field day started as an emergency preparedness exercise. Because remember back in the day, this is like the 20s when this started, uh, the guys would actually build the transmitter, and then they'd build the receiver sitting right next to it. And so they'd, you know, have it all hooked up and all carefully, you know, set up at, at home. And, uh, you know, everybody took pride in this. This, was again, was the 20s. And so they'd have big towers outside the whole thing. And they'd never take it out of the house. And, uh, you know, as an emergency service, you got to actually be portable. Right, you got to so be mobile. You got to be able to move around. Absolutely. Set up in a trauma exactly. center or go to a place where there's uh, emergencies happening so you can broadcast out. You can't necessarily pick your whole house up and move it. Right. And so, so the guys had to get out there. And so they, they said, well, we'll just go find a random field and we'll just go, you know, throw something up. And that's what field they started was they just go find a field. Um. And so it started then. It, it had to skip the uh, the wars because the the amateur radio kind of kind of stops and it goes into a, a thing called races through uh, through wars and stuff uh, supporting the government. Um, and then after the war, it came back and it's been running ever since. Um, and you know we've been around since I think '48 was when we were we were formed. So uh, there's just a really long history of Field Day. I know I've got a few members in the club that I've got pictures of them doing in the '80s and. Uh, I know Ben Kinningham. I got pictures of him doing it way, way back uh, uh, when he was much younger. Uh, that's what he always tells me. So, um, you know, we've got all these different things that field day is just getting out there, being prepared, and testing your skill. Because uh, the honest truth is with radio, you know, most communications, you, you've got to make that connection. You've got to learn the skill. You've got to learn, especially HF, uh, when you get your general. Uh, and don't wait too long. The tip with general is uh, it's really similar to technician. Yeah. So if you can, uh, you know, piggyback on that one, uh, you'll do pretty good. The, uh, the the Once you do that, though, HF, there's all this static noise because all these DC switching power supplies have just brought the noise floor up. So the problem is you've got to start using phonetics. You've got to start learning how to repeat yourself through fades. You've got to start listening for the other station that's fading in and out. And you've got to, you know, maximize how you're fading back to them to get your signal both ways. Um, and you know, and I've, I've, so- I've listened to some of that. Cause you know, I haven't 
pushed to talk on some of those bands, but I have scanned them to kind of listen in and, you know, hear what the communication's like. And again, it's amazing to hear somebody down in Southern Florida talk with somebody in Canada uh, and uh, to be able to pick that up just with a small, uh, you know, uh, dipole antenna I have set up beside my house, uh, a collapsible one. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's amazing how even with that noise that might be in the background and it's fluctuating and almost breathing, so to speak, uh, they're still able to communicate with using some of that the the phonetics of you know alpha, beta, delta, whatever it may be. Uh, but the the communication skills definitely need to be fine tuned uh, when you're communicating like that. But then you get into the digital stuff, Todd, and I think that that you know I'm I'm a younger amateur radio guy and I'm just now getting into this. I wish I would have gotten into it a lot earlier but some of the digital stuff too is pretty incredible because of how weak a signal can be but how you can still get across uh certain types of information how much is that uh is that popular in the amateur radio community uh and do you see that possibly uh, picking up in, in in pace well yeah d- definitely so digital uh, is interesting because that actually goes back to world war ii um there's a thing called hellscriber and it was it was a really early uh, early form where you could actually see the letters. One of the guys in town, Mitch, he he really loves Hellscriber, and you can actually see the letters etched in the spectrum with the amplitude modulation. So it's wow. really cool that that one kind of started that. And then you get into Ritty, which you remember from the teletypes back in the day. You'd have the bell, and then you know you'd start getting the the news news feed. And and so then Ritty uh, kind of Hams took that and ran off with it. And then you know. Later on, we started modernizing digital, so we started going with uh, newer modes like PSK31, which is you know keyboard-to-keyboard type stuff, mm-hmm. uh, just like the RIDI was, um, a little bit different than the Hellscriber, where it actually uh, you're kind of using that that waveform to to etch the signal. Uh, but the thing is, uh, for the longest time, uh, you got to remember there's so many different pieces in amateur radio, and I'm trying. To cover so many at once here, it's kind <laughs> yeah, of we're difficult. not we're, we're not going to be um, able to. Do, this isn't like you know ham radio one hundred and one or anything. This is really just to wet people's appetite, right? I, in, in the technician class, I can't even cover all of amateur radio. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> there's it's so, so much, it's so interesting, there's so much. There is, and 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 you know, I've got like a, you know almost a hundred people in the club that I'm trying, and each one of them has a different niche they they like. So. Digital is interesting because you got to remember a lot of the research that's been done about propagation, how the ionosphere re- reacts to radio signals, is actually being done by physicists partnering with amateur radio. And that works because what we actually do a lot of times is we do a lot of contesting. And what they need is data. They need data that says, you know, the ionosphere bounces this signal from this place to this place, and they can figure out how the different layers of the ionosphere function to bounce that signal. And so they partnered up and they, they've been using our logs that we submit for contests for a number of years to generate that data. You know, how strong was the signal between these two points? Right. And then they, you know, figure out different ways to map that. Uh, the interesting thing is that helped them. And then they eventually started making more digital modes and seeing how digital was more helpful with that because then it provided them more data. And so it's been interesting that some of these physicist researchers have started making things like uh, uh, FT8, which uh, has a lot of non-popularity, I have to say, amongst uh, older hams. Uh, probably, I'm, I'm betting, you know, well before I was alive, obviously, the, the AM versus the uh, sideband guys and the CW, you know, when that CW requirement got removed, I'm sure there's... It's Morse code for people who aren't uh, uh, familiar. Thank you. And uh, and so they, they made this new FT8, and it's very non-conversational. You 
click one button on the computer and it it makes the contact and you click another and it yeah. it adds it to your log or something like that yep. Yep. and then you're done it's pretty. It's pretty incredible. And Todd, I just looked at the clock, uh, and I lost track of time. We're gonna have. To, I'm gonna have to bring you back on uh, to talk about this in the yeah. future because there's so much to it, and I love talking about it. Because hey, I'm new into this hobby. So, uh, Todd Johnson, he is the president of the Sangamon Valley Radio Club. Real quick, what's the website people can get more information about the local club? svrc.org sierra victor radio charlie.org. That's real simple. Uh, Sangamon Valley Radio Club sv rc.org uh todd johnson president thank you so much for taking time in 73 